The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock-knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else! Oh! oh my god, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good, how you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man, what's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time, and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid up, they knew they could kick the out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. And I go, wait a minute. You weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two men power trip of wrestling. from Super Brawl 2, and Flying Brian is at the top of his game. Hello, everybody. I'm Eric Bischoff. My guests on WCW this week, you'll see them later on in the main event. Of course, Van Hammer, Firebreaker Chip, and Todd Champion will be facing Larry the Cruncher Zabisco, beautiful Bobby, and Arn Anderson. But i got to tell you what, Chip, on paper, you guys look like you've got a real good shot at this match. Hey, you know, we really do have a real good shot. We're getting fired up, and we're ready to rock. You know what? Arn Anderson, Larry Zabisco, hey, and Bobby Eaton, you better watch out because the Patriots and Van Hammer are ready to rock and roll all over you. Tell them, Todd. I'm a little sick and tired of the Dangerous Alliance. Every time we turn around, they seem to pop up all over the arena. We have you beat, and sometimes you come out on top, and you're always hitting us in the back. And let me tell you something, Danger Alliance. If you want a war, you're looking at American muscle here, and we're just the men that can get the job done. Tell them, Hammer. The whole place will be rocking. All three of those men are experienced, tough competitors. On their own, they're hard to handle. You get them together, they're almost unbeatable. But we're there to meet them in the ring and do some real headbanging. And if you want to witness what's going to happen, you better tune into your TV sets because the Hammerheads are going to be there, the Patriots are going to be there, and the Dangerous Alliance better show up because if they don't, they're going to be out of town for good. And if they do, they're going to be on their backs flat on the mat. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the flagship show, a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire. I am your host, JP John Paz, and on today's episode is a patriot, a U.S. patriot, 
Hey, WCW Patriot. Yes, I'm talking about the one and only Todd Champion joins the show for a very rare podcast interview. Of course, you may know Todd Champion as a former U.S. Tag Team Champion in WCW with Firebreaker Chip. Of course, they are, were known as the WCW Patriots. He was also a USWA World Heavyweight Champion and an NWA Central States World Tag Team Champion. So he has definitely had quite the run and had quite the wild career. And we go through the whole entire career on this episode of the show and it's just so much fun i just i mean i'm a huge huge as you listen to all the episodes just a huge wcw fan i was always a big fan of todd champion and of course of firebreaker chip as well but of course todd and and just following his career all the way along and we do go through his entire career which is a ton of fun just talk about how he kind of got in wrestling how he was a former NFL football player. Then he gets kind of recruited by Nelson Royal into wrestling, who introduces him to Dusty Rhodes. And the um, the rest, as they say, is history from there because he's a part of JCP, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. He's with the Crockett's for a while. He kind of runs the gamut there of just amazing, amazing wrestlers to be able to kind of learn from and wrestle from and just be a part of JCP at that point is crazy because he's wrestling Telly Blanchard and Arn Anderson and Ric Flair and Ivan Koloff and Nikita Koloff and Black Bart and the Midnight Express and Big Bubba and Barbarian. I mean, just the, the who's who of wrestling at that point in the 80s and just really, really just the best in the business for sure. We also talk about his 1987 Crockett Cup run with Denny Brown. We go through his Central States run, as well as being a tag team champion with DJ, a.k.a. Dave Peterson. Talk about a, a dark match that he had in the WWF against Barry Horowitz. What happened there? What went right? What went wrong? We talk about a All Japan Pro Wrestling run that he had for Giant Baba. We go into a little bit of a story about Abdul the Butcher as well, which is always fun. Then, of course, we go back to WCW where he becomes part of the Patriots with Firebreaker Chip. We talk about the nice little feud he had with the Enforcers, some great matches he had with Steve Austin, Steve Regal, the Super Invader, Big Van Vader, Rick Rude. I mean, we talk about a lot of different wrestlers, and it's a lot of different um styles so it's, i mean it's a lot of fun kind of going through and each and every guy and kind of hitting each point on that we also do talk about his feud with jerry lawler down in memphis for uswa and we do touch on a bit his other time in japan as pero russo for mishinoku pro and we talk about retirement injuries some favorite matches some regrets he may have had in the business and kind of Everything in between. Also, a very interesting story about Diamond Stud, a.k.a. Scott Hall, and Diamond Dallas Page. Also, we will talk about the quote-unquote champion versus champion match with the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. We'll talk about uh, perhaps a 1997 WCW return as he had a dark match on Nitro against Samu and Fatu. And kind of what happened from there. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a really, really fun ride and a really great episode with Todd Champion. But before I send it over to the interview and to a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business, I just want to also mention Talking Tough and the three-way dance 
which is hosted by Rick Bassman. It's uh, available on the Podcast One podcasting platform. Also is Dr. Tom taking you to school. His podcast is available on the two-man power trip of wrestling feed. And, of course, Shane Douglas' Triple Threat podcast is available on the Russo brand, which is on the Realm Network. Then, Dirty Dutch, yes, the University of Dutch podcast is available on the MLW Radio Network. Got so much going on with the two-man power trip of wrestling. Stick with us. You will definitely be enjoyed pretty much every day of the week you can enjoy a podcast. So sit back, relax, enjoy without any further ado. Send it over to some two-man power trip of wrestling business and then an interview with Todd Champion. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Michael, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk. Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. is a former NWA Central States Tag Team Champion, a former USWA World Champion, and, of course, a former WCW United States Tag Team Champion. He is none other than Todd Champion. Todd, welcome to the two-man power trip. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So what is going on lately in the world of Todd Champion? <laughs> life. Life. I got a 
daughter getting married on Saturday, and I got a, another daughter that's a junior at University of Tennessee, and I've got a son living in North Carolina, and so it's just life's going on right now. So, what's kind of life been like away from the wrestling business? Uh, more relaxing? You like it uh, away from the limelight, or what's going on? Well, you know, I miss it. I, I'm not going to lie, I, I miss it. Um, you know, I played football in college and a little bit of professional football, but I, I miss the camaraderie with the guys. Um, you know, being on the road, it was a different era back then. And uh, a lot of the guys that, uh, you know, have either passed or were towards the tail end of their careers that were great superstars, you know, I had a chance to, you know, rub shoulders with and get to know some of those guys. When you actually kind of broke into the business, like you said, you were like a pro football player, college football player. How'd you get recruited on, into wrestling? Kind of got into it by accident, to be honest with you. I I just gotten released by the 49ers. I'd gotten hurt. just couldn't quite make it back for the training camp. So I decided after playing football since I was eight years old, it was time for me to, you know, kind of move on, you know. And so I'm from North Carolina originally. I was still living in Los Angeles at the time. And I just went back to see some family. My grandparents were still alive. I had a lot of friends still living in, in North Carolina, Charlotte, Concord area. And so I thought I'd take a maybe a two- to three-month vacation and kind of get back to my roots a little bit. And and uh, had a good friend that owned a sporting goods store. And his name was Rocky. And he started talking to me about professional wrestling. And I really at that time, hadn't really paid that much attention living in L.A. It was still kind of a regional thing. And uh, so I didn't, you know, I knew about it. You know, I, I knew of it when I was raised in North Carolina, but I didn't pay a lot of attention. And so he talked me into going in and talking to a guy, I don't know if you remember this name, Nelson Royal. Oh, yes. Nelson Royal had a Western store in Mooresville, California, in Mooresville, North Carolina, I'm sorry, which is about 10 minutes from where I was born. He said, you need to talk to this guy. He said, I think you'd be a good fit for professional wrestling. He said, what else you got to do? I said, okay, I'll, I'll go talk to him. And one thing led to another, and Nelson took me under his wing, uh, introduced me to Dusty, and we didn't have wrestling schools. It was you kind of learn the hard way, you know, and, and Nelson just happened to have a ring in a barn behind his uh, – he, he had a horse ranch and a western store there. He said, I can take you in there and we can work out. And if I think you got the goods to, uh, you know, go on, I'll introduce you to Dusty. And that's kind of how it all started. So was your football background, the fact that you were a pro football player, did that make it any easier to transition into professional wrestling? Um, it might have helped a little bit because I was in pretty good shape still. Uh, decently, you know, I was a good, good athlete. So I, I had the athletic ability. But, you know, that's a different different kind of shape, and it's a different kind of animal when you get in the ring, you know, and and uh, learning to fall correctly and do things without hurting yourself and being able to be be agile, you know. And luckily I was a big guy, but, you know, I had a history of being fast and quick and big and playing football. So that, that did help. That did transition to the ring and, and at that point. What position were you, by the way, in football? I was an offensive line, offensive guard. I was, uh, I don't know if you've heard of a guy named Rod Marinelli. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. He re- he recruited me out of high school uh, to play football for him at Utah State University where I played my college ball. And uh, so he uh, kind of turned me from a boy to a man. And, and in college, you know, I went from 
240 pounds to by the time I was a senior, I was 290. So, you know, lifting weights and eating good and having the training table definitely helped me. Wow, you were that big, huh? Wow, that's crazy. I think of uh, you were that big. Is that uh, hard to um, like keep yourself at that weight? I know, obviously, linemen, you got to be big, you got to be huge. Is it actually hard to maintain like that kind of weight and still be in shape? Yeah, it, you know, I was three ten when I was with WCW. Wow! Oh my God, I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah, because I'm six foot five, five and a half, maybe six five and a half, and so I was about three ten, and so. It was a different kind of shape. You know, I, I lifted differently when I got into professional wrestling because, after all, you make a living with your shirt off, right? Mm-hmm. And you are, you are the product. When I was playing football, I didn't care what I looked like as long as I was big, strong, and fast. That's all I cared about. So I ate everything in sight and didn't really, you know, watch watch my diet, you know. And you get into professional wrestling, now you're a marketing tool and, a, and you know, you know, back then, you know, there were a lot of big guys in the business. I mean, you had the Road Warriors, you had the Barbarian, you had the Warlord, you got, you know, Lex Luger. So we had guys, you know, 300 plus pounds and in stacked and in shape, you know. And so you had guys like that. And so that's kind of what the marketability was with, with me was my size and my quickness. And so that's how it kind of got all started. So as you're going along with Nelson Royal, are you thinking you could do this? This is easy. Are you thinking this is this is harder than you thought? Like, what's the thought process as he's kind well, of not really training you along, but like you said, kind of you know throwing you in a ring in a barn? <laughs> well, it was like 100 degrees in the summer and 40 degree, 30 degrees in the winter, and there was no heating and there was no air conditioning in that, that barn. So you either made it or you didn't, you know. Um, yeah, it was it, like I said. It was, I was okay with the physicality of it because I was been doing it all my life playing football, so that wasn't a shock to me. It was just uh, being able to do things smoothly and athletically, and uh, you know, not tripping over your feet in the ring. You know, and that, that was my biggest concern. I didn't want to, and, and Nelson too. He didn't want to. You know, he wasn't going to turn me on to Dusty until he absolutely thought that I would. I was ready to actually go and do an interview and and get in the ring in front of the crowd. And and so he made sure that I was ready to go. So how long did you train with Nelson Royal? Oh, it was probably – I was probably in the ring for about six months, for about six, eight, eight, seven, eight hours a day for six months straight, Monday through Sunday. We didn't miss a day. And – he wanted, and Dusty had found out about me. And I'd met Dusty. Uh, I'd met Dusty. Nelson took me down to the Shark Coliseum, and they were doing a pay per view, and and he wanted me to meet Dusty and the guys and everything. So that's when I originally met Dusty. And I guess Dusty liked me because of my size, um, but you know that doesn't always uh, that doesn't always transfer to the ring. You know, there's a lot of big, good-looking guys out there. You know, but if he can't you know, get the ring work in and your work isn't good, it doesn't matter. Um, so Nelson taught me old school um, and just kind of broke me in slowly and then took me to a, a dark match, they call it. The Dusty said, I want Todd to come down. And they were filming in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And they would, in between tapings, they had about a 30-minute lull, you know, before they could get the reel. Back then it was reel-to-reel stuff. 
And so they would throw me out there to kind of entertain the crowd while they were getting their popcorn and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's where I got my experience. Because um, there were no wrestling schools, you know, that like they have today. Uh, when you cut an interview, there was nobody writing your interview for you. You had to come off. That's why when you look at Dusty and Flair and those guys, they were geniuses because they didn't have anything written down. They would just come off the top of their head on Anderson. You know, Larry Zabisco, those guys that cut great interviews, they didn't have a script. These guys just winged it and did it. You know, and that's how you learned. And so they'd throw me in between those dark matches, and I was getting better and better. You know, of course, when you're in front of a crowd, you know, they either hate you or they love you, right? And they're, they're, they kind of guide you that way. And so I was going to a lot of dark matches in the TV tapings, and I'm kind of getting a little following locally, you know, because I was mm-hmm. doing South. And then I walked into a TV taping one night thinking, you know, I'm going to be a dark match or, you know, because at that point my name was not Todd Champion. You know, they were still using my real name. And then Dusty said, come here, kid. I'm going to talk to you for a second. I thought he was going to fire me, <laughs> you know. Mm, yeah. And he pulls me into the shower and goes, hey, I've been thinking about it. And he says, I, I'm going to change your name to Todd Champion. It's got a nice ring to it. I like it. And so about two weeks later, I signed a, a deal with the NWA, and uh, my career kind of started at that point. Yeah, good old JCP, good old uh, Mid-Atlantic yeah. Championship Wrestling, a part of the uh, NWA. Uh-huh. Awesome yeah. uh, place yeah. to start at that point. What's kind of the initial thoughts of the American Dream, Dusty Rose? Is he, you know, you bring it in, he likes you, he gives you your name. What's your thoughts on Dusty? And I was just, you know, I was kind of, I was so impressed. Dusty was a genius. Dusty has, he was a thinker. The man, you know, of course, you could, his his interviews are legendary anyway. And uh, the man, you know, so whatever he told me to do, I knew he was telling me for my own good. And he would tell me if I had a good match or a bad match. And he would coach me up and say, don't do that, that next time, do this, do that, you know. And over time, test was probably about four or five months being on the road and wrestling. And, you know, I was kind of the first match every night, you know, and, or middle of the road match and, and uh, walked into a TV taping one night. Usually I'm the first guy out there or the second guy or maybe third guy. And I didn't see my name on the list and I was way at the bottom and it said uh, TV title championship match, Todd Champion versus Ric Flair. So that was my first uh, kind of wake-up call, <laughs> so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I was so nervous and just, uh, you know, I'm wrestling Rick Flair for a TV title, and I had no idea that was going to happen. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared. They didn't tell me. They just, I guess they didn't want to make me nervous, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so they waited till I got there. So uh, to make a long story short, you know, being in a ring with a guy that was like Ric Flair is an honor anyway. So I uh, got in the ring, we tore the house down, and that was that was that kind that match. Probably me on the map as Todd Champion, and, and my, then I started getting uh, name recognition wherever I went. So that kind of that that put me on the map. Dusty did that to get me on to get me some exposure, and, and uh, I'm grateful for that. And that's kind of how the whole Todd Champion thing started. What did you think about Rick as a worker? Was he able to calm your nerves in the ring? Was he like, you know, the, the ring general that we all hear that he is? 
man, I tell you what, everybody's going to – they'd say – and all the guys are back. Okay, man, don't be nervous. You're working with Ric Flair. It's a night off. You got a night off, dude. You got you just listen. And that's exactly what I did. Flair just calmed me down. He made me look like a million bucks. He made me look like I knew what I was doing. Uh, he is the ring general. He's the best at it. Um, never had to worry. Didn't worry a bit. And I got in the ring. And when we were done, and we had the people on their feet screaming and yelling and. He rolls out of the ring and leaves and leaves me in the ring kind of stunned that I almost had him beat and didn't quite get the pin. And, you know, it was just it made, made my day. As you're going along in um, MA, uh, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, uh, JCP, as you're kind of going along, you're wrestling, you know, guys like Ivan Koloff, Nikita Koloff, the Russians who were really super over it as heels at that point. What's kind of, you, you know, your thought process? You, are you loving kind of just being out there or you're learning? Like what, what's going through your head at this point? I'm loving and learning, believe it or not. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm loving it because, you know, we, I was kind of the all-American guy, you know, and so um, they would, they would tag team me and Sam Houston up. I don't know if you remember Sam. Oh, of course, and, yeah. Me and Sam, uh, I remember we fought the Russians in one of the Great American Bashes in, in, in Atlanta, and we tore the house down. Loved Ivan. I've known Nikita for years. Um, but we had some knockdown dragouts, and that's the perfect combination back then. You know, you got Russia versus the USA. You know, they get heat on us, and we make a comeback. And and so that, that those feuds were good good battles. And it brought the people to their feet every time we stepped in the ring. So it was it was a lot of fun. And Ivan, we called him Uncle Ivan. Loved the man. Nicest guy I ever met. Uh, had my first Russian chain match with him. Never had one before. And uh, we were in the Shark Coliseum. And, and uh, once again, you know, Ivan's a ring general too. I mean, nicest guy I ever met. But in the ring, he's phenomenal. And uh, once again, we had a, you know, knockdown drag out match. And, brought the people to their feet, and that's what we're supposed to do. So yeah, I enjoyed every minute of it. Pretty cool, like, being that young in the business, but you getting to work these really, really good guys and these really veterans, like working with Tully, working with Arn, uh, working with Dennis Condry and Bob Eaton, Midnight Express, right? I mean, pretty damn good experience to throw you out there with some of the best. Well, that's how you learn. I mean, you, you don't learn any other way. And like I said back then, there were no schools. So you had to learn on the fly. And either you caught on really quick or you didn't last very long. That's just the way it was. Um, you didn't have time to prep and you didn't, you know, cause you're on the road every night and your, your, your experience was being built in the ring every night, seven days a week. Uh, so wrestling guys like the midnight express and guys like that, uh, Bobby and Dennis country and those guys, I mean, it was, those guys were awesome too. We had some great matches with those guys. Uh, you know, wrestling, you know, with the Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Valley, remember him? Mm-hmm. Being on the road with him and just picking the, the, the you know, the old, old-timers' old brains a little bit and asking, well, if I did this, what would you do? And he, they would give me their advice, you know, hey, do this, kid, do that, don't do this, you know. Uh, you know, so I got a lot of great advice from a lot of great, great wrestlers that are in the Hall of Fame. So I was fortunate to be able to, you know, ride the roads with these guys and, you know, Wahoo McDaniel's another guy. Got a lot of uh, Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, you know, rode with him a lot. Um, it was, it, you know, it was it was a good era in professional wrestling. And some people call it the golden age, I guess. I don't know. 
Um, but it, it was it was an interesting and, and fun time. Definitely the golden age to me, or the golden era to me. Best talent, best wrestlers, best interviews. I feel like was that point in time in wrestling, especially the NWA. I mean, they were luck, like completely loaded with talent. Oh yeah, I mean, we would wrestle in these outdoors, you know, like football fields and stadiums, and you know, you'd walk in and you know, you've got. You know, myself, you got Lex Luger, you got the Warlords, you got Ric Flair, and you got Arn Anderson, you got Ole Anderson, you got the Boogie Woogie Man, you got the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, you got Rick Rude, you got all these guys, you know, that you get to feed off of and learn from. And, you know, I would stay, after my match was done, I would stay and watch the other matches so I would learn something, you know. And I think that was key to my success in having some longevity in business. What did you kind of think as you're going along and comparing like the crowds in wrestling who were just nuts to the football crowds? Were you ever like, wow, these people are nuts. They, you know, they really love their wrestling. Do you ever think about the crowds and, and how much fun they were? Yeah, I did. You know, it's funny because when I played football, you run out in front of 80,000 people, you don't really get to interact with them because they're in the stands, right? So when you're on the football field, you kind of block the noise out because you got to really focus and you got to really concentrate on the guy in front of you that's trying to rip your head off, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of block that out, and then after it's over, you kind of re-engage. In professional wrestling, you you know you engage with the crowd early. They love you or they hate you. Uh, you 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 learn what they like and what they don't like. So the crowd's a real important part of the business and part of professional wrestling. It's it's almost like if you listen to a musician, they'll talk about, you know, when there's nothing like a live concert because they feed off the energy of the crowd. And I think that's the way in professional wrestling, too. You, you feed off that energy that the crowd gives you. And that's what we did, and, and I, I enjoyed that the most. And, and I never, you know, if somebody wanted me to sign an autograph, I was never too busy to do that because I appreciate those people paying tickets to come see me. As you're going through in your status, I mean, kind of like I mean, you're a rookie, but it's kind of lower on the card, um, you know, losing a lot, so to speak. You know, but you're wrestling these great guys. You're learning a lot. Did you mind right. that kind of kind of coming yeah. along, or, or is that just part of the territory? It's part of the territory. I mean, in the beginning, you know, I had to you know, almost had to read because when you're playing football, you play to win, right? Mm-hmm. You're competing, and, you know, you, you want to win the game. This is different. This is a learning experience when you're starting out. You've got to be humble. You've got to pay your dues uh, like those guys did. Those guys paid their dues way before I got there, and those guys were, you know, doing jobs for other guys, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. part, of the, and that's part of the business. And, 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 you know, you got to take your ego out of it. You really do. So I had to rethink, you know, hey, this, I'm learning. You know, this is something that I'm going to do for a while, and eventually my day will come where I'll get a shot and 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 be able to do what they did. And so I was very humbled by that, and and I learned from everybody. You know, I had some of my early matches with Tully Blanchard on television, and uh, I learned a lot from guys like that. I mean, they took care of me. They made me look good. They made me. They made. They knew what I could do, and they knew what I couldn't do. And that's a sign of a great heel especially with a baby face like me, Green, in the business. They, I was athletic enough to do anything they wanted me to do, but they didn't want me to overdo it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So they made sure that, you know, I was protected and, and, and looked good, and, you know, and, I, and I made sure that I did what I was supposed to do. 
So you go to Central States, really probably around somewhere in 1986. And is that right. just for some seasoning they want to send you over there and, and kind of just uh, learn the ropes in another place and, and kind of just get your feet wet? Yeah, what had happened there was that Jim Crockett bought that territory out. And they needed a crew to go up there and kind of build it. And so they decided, let's take the young guys that are maybe going to be stars down the road and let's give them a taste of, you know, being in interviews and doing this and doing that. So they sent a crew, me and some other guys out to to the central states to kind of uh, get that going. And then once we were there for a few months, then Dusty and some and Flair and those guys would fly in for the bigger house shows. So we were working a territory that was kind of, had been around for a long time, mm-hmm. but wasn't, wasn't real successful. And so they were hoping by sending us in there that we could at least build, build it up a little bit to get it. So it, it's, it's a territory that everybody wanted to come to. Um, I was there for about seven months. They decided that that territory was not something you wanted to be in every day. And day in the day, we drive two or three hundred miles to show up for fifty people. And that's that's pretty hard to do uh, on a nightly basis. But we did it anyway because it was like I said, in, in, it, like you said, it was a good experience. I learned a lot. It really it really you know seasoned me as a professional wrestler to to really hone my skills and work better. So. So I don't regret it. In the beginning, I was like, oh, my God, we're we're never going to get anything done here. But in the long run, it was a good experience when I look back on it today. Dave Peterson as well. So, I mean, they, yeah. he gave you a good push there. Yeah, DJ, me and DJ, and we hit it off. He's a great guy. You know, he passed away a few years ago. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, but, yeah, me and DJ were great friends, and, and uh, he was kind of a fixture up in Kansas City already. And so they, and he was a really a baby face that, you know, they could push and have a local guy that bring me in and we kind of tag up and do our thing. And, and it worked out well. It, it, it ended up being, being a good thing. So as you're kind of going along, they bring you back to JCP and you're a part of the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup. You and Denny Brown are tag team partners. Wow. I can't believe you remembered that. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, I know. That's a great show, Crockett yeah. Cup. Yeah, we, you know, and, and I and I enjoyed every second of it. And Denny Brown is a great, great guy. He's a great worker. He was a, he was Denny was uh, you know real athletic and and so Denny taught me some stuff because he was a seasoned vet too. He'd been around, you know. So you know, bringing me in and Denny putting us together in the Crockett Cup was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Do you remember beating the Mulkies? The famous Mulkey Brothers. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Almost felt bad, you know, because <laughs> those are some great guys, you know. And uh, yeah, when we beat them, it's like, okay, guys, I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> that is great though, because they you know, they got over basically, you know, from losing so much. So it's kind of right. a, a cool thing. Right. And then they got their first win on television, and people went crazy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Cool stuff. And then second round, um, you guys lose to Baba and uh, Takagi. But th- that's uh, pretty cool that you're able to be in uh, the tournament of that magnitude for sure. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, like I said, Dusty, you know, really, uh, Dusty and I kind of had a really good, we had a good friendship. 
he knew I was young and I was green, but he let me experience things, you know, maybe that some other guys didn't get a chance to, and that really helped me a lot. That showed me that Dusty had some confidence in me um, to go out there and put on a good show and, and do what I need to do. Feeling my way through the business, I was still trying to find my identity, you know, as as far as a professional wrestler, and, and uh, so it was, it was all good. I really enjoyed it. And in 1988, you have a dark match against Barry Horowitz in the WWF. Do you remember that at all? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I mean, I, and I, I almost forgot about it until you brought it up. But, yeah, I do. I remember that. Yeah, I do. What was the circumstance? Like they were going to bring you in, or they just wanted to give you a tryout? You know what? It was That was kind of a weird thing because I was, I was, gonna, I was on the verge of kind of walking away from the business for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to get married, you know, and all this stuff. So I had a lot on my mind. So they brought me in and, uh, you know, we had a great match and all that, but then nothing ever happened. So uh, I decided, you know, I would uh, bow out gracefully for a little while. And is there a reason you left before that though? Is there a reason you left um, basically the NWA WCW? Did, was there a thought that maybe WWF was going to bring you in? No, no, I really didn't. I really didn't. I was I was loyal to the NWA and, and all that, you know. Um, so I really didn't, you know, I, I didn't pursue it because I was getting married. I got married. That was my first marriage. And so I decided, you know, I, I'm going to be a family man. And, you know, being on the road may not be that good for a marriage and raising a family. So I decided to, you know, bow gracefully. And, of course, my marriage lasted a whopping year. Hmm. And And so now, you know, I wasn't wrestling and I wasn't married, you know. So uh, I went back to California and broke into the movie business and got my Screen Actors Guild card. And, you know, I did Rocky Five and Tango and Cash and stuff like that, you know, little bit parts and stunt, stunt work. And then I get a call from Magnum uh, TA asking me if I would like to come back to WCW and talk to Dusty. And he was all excited. And so, we talked, went back and forth, and finally worked out a deal, and they, they moved me back from California to Atlanta, and then I started the WCW career. Very, very cool. Well, what did you do in, in Rocky Five? Were you – you said just I, a stunt guy or I, – I, I, I was a prisoner in prison. In, oh. Uh, Rocky okay. Five or Tango and Cash, which one? No, Rocky Five. Oh, Rocky Five. Yeah, I was one of the boxers that got knocked out by Tommy Morrison <laughs> in, the, in the ring. And so I did that, and that was about four day stint. And uh, then I did Tango and Cash, and I was actually had a fight scene with Sylvester Stallone in it, where he, we fight and he kicks me through a table. I go flying through a table and stuff like that. Then I did uh, I did some L.A. Laws, Everybody's All American, and I did some voiceovers for that with Dennis Quaid and Jessica Lange, and did some voiceovers for that. Uh, did a couple of the uh, Andy Griffith shows when he was the lawyer. Can't remember the name of that show. Matt um, Block. Great show, yes. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Yeah, you, thank you. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so I did some matlocks and, and stuff like that. And, and uh, when I was actually on the, the set of Tango and Cash when Dusty called me and wanted to know what I was doing and what I, what I want to come back, he had an idea for me. So that's kind of how all that, that started. Pretty cool, though. Uh, so, uh, Sly Stallone must have liked you. He's got you in two of his movies, Tango and Cash and Rocky <laughs> yeah. Five. Yeah, he requested me because, and then I did LA Law where I was a boxer and you know, where I killed yep. a guy and all that. But he liked me because he was a 
he's a professional wrestling fan too. Uh, we wrestled out in California right after we in WCW when when Curtis and I had uh, won the uh, U.S. Tag Team Belt. Uh, we were flying the next day to Los Angeles to wrestle Arn and Larry Zabisco, the Enforcers, for the World Titles, Tag Team Titles. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stallone and those guys, they were at the matches. They all came to the match and all that stuff. Oh yeah, wow, that's but, awesome! Wow, big fan. Yeah. yeah, so he he was a big and he liked he liked wrestling and. You know, when we were on the set of Tango and Ca- Tango and Cash, we were filming the, the prison scene stuff, and you know he'd come over and go, "Hey, show me how to lock up, and show me how to do this, and what do you do here?" So he he liked that kind of stuff. He was into it. That is awesome. A pretty uh, great relationship to have too. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, I got to be good friends with his bodyguards and stuff, and and uh, got invited to a few parties out in L.A. So. Uh, it was it was it was it was a different experience. Something you know, a little country boy from North Carolina. I never born here. Next thing I know, I'm rubbing elbows with Stallone and guys like that. Awesome stuff. Now, when Magnum and Dusty bring you back into WCW in '91, you obviously mentioned Curtis Curtis Thompson. You're with right. Firebreaker Chip. What was the thought process there? They're going to create this WCW Special Forces. They're going to create the WCW Patriots. What was kind of thrown out and laid out to you guys? Originally, it was supposed to be four guys. Originally, it was supposed to be myself, Curtis, and two other guys, an astronaut and uh, a policeman. They wanted and called the Patriots. And that that whole idea, that whole character idea, was basically going to be a cartoon. That's what they were thinking for kids. And so that went around the table a zillion times. And finally, they just narrowed it down to me and Curtis uh, and wanted to go with the the WCW Special Forces or the Patriots, as we were called, and it kind of went went to went that way. We, you know, we they brought us out right after Desert Storm. That's where the Army stuff came along, and and the Firebreaker Chip type of thing, you know, putting mm-hmm. out the fire. So we kind of morphed into those those kind of characters and 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 became the Patriots, WCW Patriots. What did you think about the chemistry with Firebreaker Chip? He's a great guy. Love Curtis to death. He's a, it's so funny you, you brought you mentioned that because the other day I was looking at I, I've, I've been married twice now. He was in my wedding, my second wedding. He was one of my groomsmen. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So he was one of my groomsmen in the wedding, and, and Curtis is a phenomenal guy, great athlete. Um, we we started we gelled right away. We were friends right away. You know, some guys you know in the ring they work, and when they're done they don't associate. We hung out together, you know, went went everywhere together. I lived in Atlanta, he lived in Charlotte, and I had an apartment downtown in Buckhead, and so he would come and stay with me when we had to fly out of Atlanta and things like that. And so, uh, you know, we became very, 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 very good friends. That's cool, though. Uh, sometimes tag partners don't care for each other. You know, you'll hear weird stories like, oh, we didn't even get along, but you guys are buddies and he's in your wedding. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I was, you know, it's so funny you say that because I was looking at wedding pictures yesterday because my daughter's getting married, and I was mm-hmm. looking at pictures of him being one of my groomsmen in my wedding, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> Great tie-in. I love it. I wonder if people were like, wow, look look at that. The U.S. Patriots are up there. Uh, that's pretty cool when you were getting married. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I, You know, that was, you know, they knew who he was and I was, but it was mostly family and friends. But at that point, when I was living in Atlanta, um, we were on TV so much, I really couldn't go anywhere um, without being, you know, stopped. I could go to the Waffle House at 2 in the morning and somebody would recognize me. 
I'd go to a restaurant, somebody restaurant. I was out and I just uh, had like a week off and I decided to go visit my parents in California. And I'm out, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of the Orange Coast Plaza out in Los Angeles, but uh, I'm sitting, my mom is shopping, it's about Christmas time, you know, and, and I'm sitting there with sweats on and a ball cap and some kid walks by me, this is in LA, walks by me like two or three times and stops, looks at me and goes, you're Todd Champion, aren't you? And I said, wow, our, our TV's reaching the West Coast. Yeah. yeah, yeah, awesome. So that was kind of, that's kind of when I knew whatever we're doing is working because people are recognizing me, even if I try to disguise myself. It's, when you're 310 pounds, it's kind of hard to disguise yourself. But <laughs> he recognized me, and I kind of thought, wow, I, I, you know, you're so busy traveling around that you don't realize, you know, you're on television two or three times on a Saturday. And people watch the shows, and that's, you know, and, and pay-per-views are really taking off. Then cable was taking off. So we were reaching a broader audience. It wasn't regional anymore. It was more national. And people would, would, would pay attention, you know. So uh, I knew right then that there was something big going on. What did you think of your role with Firebreaker Chip? Because you guys beat the York Foundation, pretty good win. Then you beat the Freebirds for the U.S. Tag Team titles. So, I mean, they right. are putting some stock in you guys. You guys are starting to get a lot of wins. We were kind of shocked it was because that happened pretty quick. We, we had the straps within six months of us forming as a, as a tag team. It was pretty fast. Uh, it was a fast push, fast, fast, fast. Everything was push, 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 push. So, yeah, it was it was kind of one of those things that, once again, we weren't really aware of, you know, what was going on. We just knew we had to be there. We had to do our thing. And then we were told, you know, that night, here's how it's going to go down. And then we just we took it and ran with it, you know, like anybody else would. Got to love it. They uh, saw something in you guys, obviously. I mean, yeah, had a lot of su- success very, very quickly. I mean, that's uh, that's got to say a lot of, of Dusty's kind of faith in you, um, you know, really kind of paying off. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, you know, Dusty was, uh, you know, he, he, he made the magic. I mean, he was the brains behind everything. And, and he saw something in me. And Magnum T.A. and I were really good friends. You know, I was actually, I don't know if you remember when Magnum got in his car accident. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yep. I was with Magnum TA the night before that happened. I was met him for dinner, and we, he was showing me his Porsche. He'd just gotten that Porsche that he got in the wreck, and he had had it maybe a week. And so, you know, that was a pretty shocking thing when they finally found him on the side of the road. And he was, he'd been in his car for 14 hours before they found him. Oh, my God. And, yeah, because the car hydroplaned on a bridge. Luckily, it wasn't a tall bridge, but it was enough where he hydroplaned off the side of the bridge into the bushes down in below, and the bushes kind of covered the car. Well, they saw these weird tracks because he wasn't in the office when he was supposed to be, and then we knew something was up, and that's when they found him, you know. And so I went to the hospital and to see him and, and spent some time with him in there. So, uh, you yeah, know, it was it a was pretty, pretty scary time. And he uh, recovered quite nicely, if, if you think about it. And he's got uh, he's got his twins, young twins, and you know, yeah. obviously he's married. He's got a good job. So, I mean, he recovered pretty well. I mean, at, at that point in time, it's crazy because he was going to be the next NWA World Champion, and then it's oh, like, oh my without, god, without a doubt, he had more charisma than you could shake a stick at. And and he would he kind of took me under his wing a little bit. And uh, a lot of people thought we looked alike because every time we'd be out in a restaurant together, we looked like we were brothers more than we were, you know, mm-hmm. opposite. 
And so we just kind of, we hit it off and, you know, he was the most relaxed, laid back guy I've ever met. And of course he and Dusty were very close. And, um, so that being said, you know, I, you know, being able to be friends with those guys and they can impart some knowledge on me and, and, and help me out. That, you know, I, I appreciate every, every moment and time that I spent with them. It was, it was, it was, it was something that you know, a lot of people don't get to do. And, and I was fortunate enough to, to be in those situations and you know, I was always grateful for it. So you guys are the U S tag champs, but you end up losing to the Southern boys, AKA the young yeah. pistols. Were you yep. surprised? I know you were surprised you guys won it so soon. Were you surprised that you kind of lost it? Not so soon, but were you surprised at the loss? Uh, yeah, I was. I, I I thought we were on a trajectory, but at that point in time, the 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 powers that be were changing behind the scene, where Dusty was having less and less control, mm-hmm. and they let somebody else make decisions. And so I don't know what went down behind the corporate closed doors, but something went down. I mean, I love I love those guys anyway. I mean, I. I did a job for them. I, I wouldn't care. Those guys were easy to work with, and they were good guys. Uh, but I thought it was pretty quick that they didn't let us kind of run with the straps a little longer to build up a little more uh, of a storyline. But, you know, I, I didn't make those calls. You know, that came from the top, and I just did, you know, I did what I was told, basically. <laughs> you at that point, too, or around that point, worked with a very young, stone-cold Steve Austin. Obviously, he wasn't stone-cold. He was stunning at this point. Stunning. Do you remember working with – yeah, do you remember working oh, yeah. with stunning Steve? Oh, yeah, yeah. My daughter – it's so funny because that seems to be one of the most watched videos on the Internet was me and him. And uh, we actually had two matches within a month of each other for title matches in the same year. And uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun working with him. I mean, he's a great guy anyway. And so uh, working with him was, was a blast. I mean, it was, it was like a night off, just like working with Ric Flair, you know. You didn't possibly see him becoming the biggest star in the business, did you, <laughs> at that point? No, no, I didn't because, you know, he was, he, was coming at, he was coming from a different angle at that time, you know. And uh, he was one of those guys that uh, had all the talent in the world, but they just weren't sure what to do, you know. And, you know, they tried a couple of different things, and then he leaves and goes to the WWF at the time, and he becomes stone cold, and, you know, the rest is history. And when me and my brother were younger, we had Star K-91 Battle Bowl, the Lethal Lottery on tape. My God, did we wear the hell out of that tape. You team with Steamboat <laughs> that night. You beat uh, yeah. Buddy Parker and Cactus. Then you're yeah. in the Battle Bowl. Do you have fond memories that night like, uh, oh, like me and my brother do? <laughs> yeah, you know <laughs> – well, you know, it's funny. I was interviewed a few months ago on a podcast, and the guy who was interviewing me said I was his first match he ever saw. He was like 12 years old in the Greensboro Coliseum. He made me feel old at that time. I said, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyhow. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Ricky Steamboat was another great guy, uh, one probably the most quality guy you'll ever meet. And I worked out in the gym all the time in Charlotte. And uh, he, had a, he called Steamboat's Gym, and so I worked out in the gym, and then, you know, I knew when I was being tagged with guys like Steamboat and those guys, you know, we were going to have great matches. It, it wouldn't matter. We were going to have good matches, and they were going to be good win, lose, or draw. It was going to be a good match that people would remember. And so it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. 
He worked with some of the all-time greats. I mean, we mentioned Rick Rude before, but also Vader. Was he okay to work with? Was he a little stiff, a little snug? Yeah, yeah, but you know what? I was too, so. <laughs> right. You know, it didn't bother me because being snug to me is not that big a deal. Um, so working with him, you know, I could lay it in just as hard as he could lay it in, maybe harder. So working with him was, you know, just like working with anybody else. But, yeah, he was a little snug, but he's a big guy. I'm a big guy. You know, we all wanted to prove a point that, you know, we're, we're big, tough guys. And so we, we, would, we wanted to project that image when we're in the ring. And as you're kind of coming to the end of WCW, you uh, wrestle War 92, you fight Super and Verity, you lose, and then basically that's the exit from WCW. Why did you end up leaving WCW? Well, they there was some issues with my contract. Um, I was told it was going to be renewed, and then they didn't renew it, and then they wanted to do something else, and I just I said, you know what, maybe it's time for me to step back a little bit. You know, I've made a good living. I've saved my money. I could take a year off if I want and rest and and decided that's what I wanted to continue to do. So after some of the politics and going back and forth, I decided, you know what, it's not worth losing sleep over. You know, I've got a degree, you know, so I can always fall back on that and, and do something else. So I was fortunate enough to, uh, you know, like I said, save my money, what I need to take care of, and, and, I, and I didn't have to wrestle anymore if I didn't want to. And you kind of end up, in USWA with uh, a very, very famous Jerry Lawler, especially in the USWA Memphis area, you become USWA champion. How did that all happen? Well, you know, it was funny. I was, when I was, after that hiatus, I get a call and they said, Hey, uh, and that's, they turned me heel too. Back then they turned me heel then. And I'd never been a heel before. And Jerry said, look, he said, I got this idea. Would you, like to come down to Memphis. I said, well, you know, let's, let's talk Turkey and, you know, I'll come. And so meanwhile we did, and I went down there and, uh, you know, I got to see Elvis Presley's house. I was impressed with that. Did the tour. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so I'm a big Elvis fan anyway. So, and I've never been to Memphis really, you know, I heard about it, been through it briefly, but never went down there for any period of time. And at that time I was, uh, engaged to my second wife, weren't married yet, but they, he wanted me to turn heel. And so I turned heel and, uh, you know, got the title. And then when we had a rematch in the Mid-South Coliseum, it was sold out because I'd drawn so much heat uh, from being a heel. And I had actually had a lot of fun. Tried to learn, tried to remember what Ric Flair was doing and see if I could do it better, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Because, <laughs> you know, those are the heels I wrestled with, you know, the Arn Andersons and the Ric Flairs and the Tully Blanchards and those guys. So, I'm trying to think, oh, my gosh, I've always been the All-American. Now i got to be a, a prick. So what i got to do, <laughs> you know. So I had to do things to kind of change the way I did stuff. and, and uh, But it worked out. It worked out good. I enjoyed my time there. Now, how did he actually kind of get a hold of you, Jerry Lola? I mean, I could, maybe he knew you, I guess, from the WCWC. Like, how did you make it down there? Um, I don't know really how he got my phone number, to be honest with you. But I just got a phone call from uh, – um, uh, him and Burt Prentice. I don't know if you remember Burt Prentice. Yeah, oh yeah, yep. Because he ended up being my manager, you know, when I came down there. And so then he told me, he said, hey, you know, this is what we want to do. We're going to have, the, this is your life, Todd Champion. I don't know if you saw that video yet. Um, 
we did a whole thing, This Is Your Life. And I brought all my football gear in and all my trophies and all the stuff I did since I was 10 years old and, you know, told a story, basically, to build up my, my persona there as a big, arrogant, you know, athlete from Los Angeles. And, and uh, you know, and so, and then Jerry kind of fed off of that, and we went back and forth and then built a program around it. Very cool. Like, if you just think about it, like, wow, that's kind of, like, random, but great. And, uh, you know, Lawler notices you and wants to bring you in and, be, and makes you the champ. Very, very cool, very prestigious, obviously, to be in a few with Jerry Lawler. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was awesome. And, and you know, I, I knew about Jerry for years. Anybody, there's anybody's been through Memphis, right? I mean, Hulk Hogan, the Road Warriors, you know, Rock and Roll. Everybody who's before me that was anybody had been through Memphis at one point in their career. So, I figured this can't be a bad thing because if Hulk Hogan did it and Macho Man and everybody else came through Memphis, I guess I'll go through Memphis too. Yes, good call. Good thought. Now, you also end up in Mishinoku Pro years later. Well, actually, before that, you do make a brief return to WCW. You have like a little few with uh, Lord Stephen Regal. I don't want to kind of just brush over that quickly. Do you remember kind of making a quick return to WCW and then leaving again? Yeah, I do. I was actually... You know, I wasn't really prepared to come back. I was, I had a, I had built a fitness center in, in Lawrenceville, Georgia, a big one, and I was busy running, running the business, right? And all of a sudden, I get this call, and they said, "We want you to work at a program with Stephen Regal, who's another great one, right? Lord Stephen mm-hmm. Regal, who, who's a very uh, technician and all this." So they kind of set us up the American against the British, you know, the, the arrogant royal you know, snot, snotty British against the American. And so that's how that all, that whole thing started. And there again, WCW was in transition. Uh, they, they had different bosses there at that point in time. Uh, I can't remember if Dusty was still there or not. So I went in kind of skeptical, you know, because that, that program didn't go very long. It went for a couple of weeks, and then they wanted to do that. They seemed to be, towards the end of the WCW days, they seemed to be trying – any little different thing they could. And if, if they didn't get, instead of building a program like in the old days, slowly and build it up to this climatic deal, if it wasn't, then they just changed, they just changed the way they did things and change it up. And it got to the point, it got real monotonous and it kind of took the fun out of the business for a while. Yeah. I, I could see kind of um, politics playing a part and, and getting annoying at WCW, you know, had different people in charge at, at different points in time. And right. maybe, you know, maybe there's too much influx and too much change going on. It was. And, and that's why, you know, and then of course they had another pretty good run with the NWO and those guys, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it just, it was, the business was changing and it was changing quickly. Um it was being, uh, you know, if, if you look back in the old days, NWA, even WCW in the early days when I first got in it, we kind of prided ourselves on the physicality of what we did, where the WWF was more, you know, they had a little more flamboyant characters, you know. Uh, they were a little more outlandish, if you, if, so to speak. And we were more guy, road, road warrior guys, you know, those type of guys. You know, and we, you know, we, you know, so you, we, we wanted to be more believable, you know, and so that's, and then WCW kind of was getting away from that. They were going in a different direction creatively. So um, over time, it, it, it was just changing, you know, and I was, I was engaged. My second wife, I had my own business. I was building 
So to me, it wasn't a life or death situation for me. It was just a, it was just another step, you know. So uh, that, so that's kind of how all that went down. And during the height of the NWO and obviously WCW Nitro when they were really kicking ass, you and Firebreaker Chip Curtis Thompson actually come back for a dark match against Fatu and Samu down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Do you remember that in 1997 and bringing it in for a dark match? Yeah, man. Well, you really you did your homework, didn't you? <laughs> oh, yes. Of course. Well, you're going to have to write all this down and send it to me so I can kind of re- remember everything <laughs> that's going on. You know, you have, you have so many matches in your lifetime that they all start running together. Yeah. So, you know, so, but yeah, I remember those ma- that match, and, and we had a good match, but, uh, you know, at, at that point in time, that was 1997, and, you know, you know, I got married. You know, my, I lost my dad in 99. I'd already been married for a few years, so I had a family, had that business still. So, you know, I, my heart wasn't in it anymore, you know. And, you know, sometimes you got to know when to walk away. It's kind of like playing football. You can only get hurt mm-hmm. so much. And one, you might lose a step or a second and a 40, and that makes the difference between winning and losing. And so, I, you know, my heart wasn't in it. I was more of a family guy at that point. So, you know, it it didn't break my heart when it didn't really go like we wanted it to go, but I was okay with it, you know. I guess they remembered you, you know. They they were thinking about bringing you back in. Yeah, you know, and and I I think if we would have been, you know, if we would have been used differently, I think if, if they would have brought us in and built a program, but they it's almost like they were trying to do stuff instantaneously. If you went in and you had a good match. But they didn't think, you know, it was uh, that. Then they just changed, they shifted gears. So that's all that transition going on behind the scenes. So with all that transition going on, and it, it, it was almost like they were trying to find that magic recipe. And, you know, anything that's worthwhile takes a while. It takes a while to build, right? So mm-hmm. they, it was almost like they, did, they didn't have the patience to build a program. They wanted instantaneous whatever. And they, they, they didn't think that didn't work. They just moved on to the next thing and you were just kind of cast aside. So at that point, you know, I already had a business started. You know, I did a good business, a health club, gym business, and, and you know, I was married, you know, getting ready to have a baby. So, you know, so there's a lot of stuff going on that it didn't break my heart when things didn't work out like I wanted it Yes, and I was mentioning uh, Mishinoku Pro before in Japan. You were actually Pero Russo over there. How did that kind of all, like – get started with you heading over to Japan. Well, Nelson Royal helped me do that. Um, I went over with Bam Bam Terry Gordy. I don't know if you remember him. Yes. We were, uh, and my first time in Japan, my first tour, um, my first night in the Tokyo Dome, and I'd never been to Japan. He'd been, you know, Terry'd been there several times. So that was a whole different experience because that was a whole different way of wrestling. Oh, yeah, old Japan in the early 90s was, whew. Stiff, oh, snug. Yeah, I was. I went there in 1987. As a matter of fact, I found a video. I couldn't believe it. Me and Bam Bam Gordy, uh, and uh, they were. It was all about you know. Uh, basically, it was a stiff, stiff match. They wrestled stiff then. They're mm. stiff. From the kicks to the to the chops to everything. I mean, they. I was back. I got backed into a corner, and the guy started roundhouse kicking me, and he was knocking the wind out of me. And I look over at Terry, and Terry goes, just punch him. 
I can't get her trying to take me out, dude. So then I turned him around and, and I kind of calmed him down a little bit. I said, you want to fight or you want to wrestle? It's up to you. And so we kind of got – and they were testing me. I was young, you know. That was just – you know, I wasn't young, but they were seeing how much I put up with. And that's kind of what they did. After that, it, was, it wasn't a problem. Testing you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Physically testing me to see how tough I am. Because I had to wrestle uh, Giant Baba, too. So, in a, in a main event match. But anyhow, uh, so they were testing me physically to see, you know, is, is this guy a tough guy or is he just going to let us run him all over the ring? So I had to kind of stand my ground, grab him, throw him in the corner and basically tackle him to the ground and hold him there until he realized I, was, I wasn't playing. So <laughs> I love it. You got to uh, fight fire with fire a little bit over there. Yeah. Kind of uh, yeah. Teach, teach a little respect. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's all it was. That's all it was. They were just, you know, they were pushing me and, you know, they showing my football stuff and all this, you know, in the magazines, the wrestling magazines, between Japan and, and um, you know, so they were testing me to see, you know, how far they could push me or, you know, what I would do. And and that was another test. And apparently I passed. So that was good. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Did you enjoy, because you, you know, would do several tours with All Japan, obviously, uh, late 80s, early 90s, and then uh, Mishinoku Pro in basically like kind of the late 90s. Did you always kind of enjoy going over there, or is it kind of a long trips, different culture, culture shock for you? It, it wasn't really a culture shock. It's just a long trip. I wasn't, at the time, I wasn't, you know, when I first went over there the first time, I didn't realize that you probably want to take something to help you sleep through the whole trip. So I sat there in these little seats, and I was so miserable. I look over at my buddies, and they're all sleeping like babies. I'm like, how are they sleeping through all this? Hmm. Well, they all brought some sleeping pills to help them sleep. I said, no, man, you got to bring something to help you go to sleep, sleep through this trip, because if you just stay awake or try to sleep, you, it's miserable. <laughs> it's like 18 hours of miserable. But anyway, I learned my lesson how to, you know, travel and, you know, take my naps when I was supposed to, you know, because it's a big time change. But, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the Tokyo Dome. It's a beautiful place, and and, and I, I enjoyed the culture. And when I was there, I, it's so funny. I seemed I was eating all the time in Japan, but I lost like 14 pounds in a week. So I don't know what I was doing to diet. I guess different diet and everything, but it was okay. Now, when you kind of go back in the late 90s, how does that get get set up for you? Like, how does that? Who sets that up for you? Well, after being there, that? yeah, after being there, um, they. They kind of, you know, hey, what do we want to do? And so they called me. They just called me and said, hey, we'd like to do this with you. Are you would you would you like to do that? And I said, well, let me think about it because now I'm married and I've got a family and, and, you know, I don't know. So it took a couple months to get things worked out. And then uh, I went back and uh, did the gig and enjoyed it. Nelson Royal helped me with that because uh, he had connections in Japan because Nelson was going to Japan in the 60s. You know, he was old-timer. So he knew everybody in Japan, so he helped he helped me with that. Now, as far as kind of retiring from wrestling, why did you then decide to hang it up? Like you said, it was just getting to that point where you had all this stuff going on, kids, marriage. You were just you just had enough with wrestling. Yeah, I did. I just you know I just you know I put so much work into into wrestling that I could not. I couldn't justify balance and family and work that way. 
Um, so I had to make a decision, and then I just made it was, it was more of a, a family decision that I, I you know I don't want to be gone for most of my kids' lives. But a lot of guys did sacrifice that, you know. But I, that was just a personal decision on my part to, to just kind of bow gracefully with some good memories and. And I still had friends, still talk to them. You know, we call each other and keep in touch. But, you know, I was, that that kind of, my life just kind of redirected into more of a civilian life, so to speak. And, uh, and you know, I haven't really, I haven't regretted it. You know, I miss seeing the guys. I, I miss that part. I miss the camaraderie in the locker room. I miss that. I miss, I miss a lot of that. But, uh, but for me, you know, family was real important. So I decided, you know, this is probably better for me personally. I don't know. I can't speak for everybody else, but for me personally, um, I, I decided that you know me, you know, doing what I do and working with the health club and all that—that's that, where I need to be. As we hit the wind down button, head towards the finish line, gotta ask some of your favorite matches because I mean you were in there with some of the all-time greats. There's no, no doubt about that. Do you have some favorite matches? Kind of looking back. Oh man, there's so there's so stinking many of them. Um, Probably Ric Flair for the TV title, and the, the caption of that was champion versus champion. So that was kind of a catchy title, right? Yes, yes. So that was what was on the screen when I you know, came out. So that being said, that was probably one of my, my favorite matches. Uh, probably the Freebirds was another favorite match uh, when we won the titles there. Wrestling the Enforcers, Arn Anderson, Larry Disco. That was some of my favorite matches. Uh, going back before WCW, me and Sam Houston against the Coloffs. Um, the me independently wrestling with me and Rick Root had some really good matches together. Um, gosh, Midnight Express when we wrestled them. Some good matches there. Um, Jerry Lawler, me and Lawler out in Mid-South. That was some good times, good matches there. Enjoyed that. Um Gosh, I, I can go on and on. There's a bunch of them. <laughs> Pretty great to be able to, you know, wrestle all those guys, uh, be world champion, stuff like that. I mean, pretty pretty great for your career. Now, the, the name Pero Russo, I want to just bring that up again just because I was so uh, enthralled by it. Where did that name kind of come from? Did you make that up? Did, did Japan make that up? Where does that kind of random Japan, name come from? They made it up. I still don't know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> But I answered to it, you know. They, they're the ones that came up with that that idea. I did. I always feel like they put words together they think is going to make sense, and then it doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not, I didn't understand it either. But, you know, I rolled with it, but I didn't understand it. But, you know, that's what they called me. So I said, okay, that's that's it. I'll tell you, another fun match I had was with Abdul the Butcher in Japan when he was there with oh, us. Oh, nice. With Abby. Abby's yep. great guy. I love, love Abby to death got a great barbecue joint down here in Georgia. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so so that was a lot of fun. And, and you know, I, I don't know if you remember this. This might blow your mind. Me and Curtis, when we were the Patriots, we wrestled uh, the Diamond Stud and in, in, in Dallas Page in his first match he ever had in the ring on television. Well, didn't, I didn't realize that was his first match. No, I didn't. That, that is awesome. Yeah. 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 And then DDP just lives down the road from me here in Smyrna. He's got a big yoga studio there. Uh, DDP Yoga, and yeah, uh, yep. so yeah, so he's got a wonderful business down there with uh, his DDP Yoga and uh, you know the nutrition side of it. He's got a cooking show and he's got a great setup. And uh, 
I haven't been able to see him in a while just because of all the crazy, the pandemic stuff. But usually I try to go down and say hi to him and we, we tell some stories and go eat and do stuff. But, but he's another great one. Still buddies with him, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I've, I've got him on speed. I'll text him and say, Hey, cause he's into the diet stuff and I'm trying to be into the diet. You think, you know, after all the years of wrestling and being on nutrition, I know he's, he's got such a wealth of knowledge, you know, and, and we're not spring chickens anymore. You know, we're all in our mid late fifties and stuff like that. So we're all trying to figure out how to, to keep ourselves from falling over or falling apart. So, and DDP, you know, his yoga saved his life, you know, basically in the ring when he hurt his neck and his back. And they said he'd never wrestle again. And through the yoga stuff that he designed, he was able to become a three-time world champion. So that says a lot for what he's doing now, helping people. So he helps a lot of people. Now, as far as you, let's kind of take everything together. The WCW, JCP, Central States, All Japan, I mean, just your whole career, even your football career. What's the legacy of Todd Champion? What do you think? Like, what's the stamp of Todd Champion? That's a good question. Um, I hope my legacy, you know, and my kids were too young to remember this. My daughters weren't born yet, well, my daughter was, but my son was, he was real young. I hope my legacy is that I, I, I put on a good show for the people. I hope that they appreciate my work in the ring and, and what I contributed to the business itself. Um, I hope that, you know, they realize that, you know, Todd Champion is is Todd Bradford in real life. That 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 legacy is just you know I want I want people to remember me as a good guy, you know, you know, trying to do the right thing, working hard, you know, doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing, and, and just being an overall good human being, you know. And that that's what I want, and that's what I, my son and my 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 two girls, and we talk about it all the time, and and. You know, I, I tell them, I said, you know, I've done a lot of things in my life. I, I was I was blessed. I was really blessed. I, I always wanted to play football and get a football scholarship and all that. And, you know, we weren't we didn't have a lot of money when I was a kid. And my dad looked at me when I was in high school and said, son, if you don't get a football scholarship, I can't afford to send you to college. So that motivated me, right? Mm-hmm. To really, really work hard and and, and to get that education and and so I, I attained that goal and then I was fortunate enough to play a little while with the Rams and the 49ers so I attained that goal and then you know got into professional wrestling not knowing that my career would go like it did so I attained that goal so I, I want people to realize out there as a legacy you know attaining goals is important setting goals for yourself it doesn't have to be in professional sports it can be in life you know be the best dad you could be be the best mom you could be you know, be the best brother or sister you can be or the best friend you can be to somebody who needs help. And that's kind of been my, my gig the whole time. You know, I'm always trying you – know, I'll speak to kids and youth groups here, and my whole goal is, you know, be a good person, you know, and take care of people and, if you, and take care of people that can't take care of themselves and take care of your family. And, and that's kind of my whole my whole legacy thing is just uh, just let people know that, you know, I'm just a human, just like everybody else. I've just been blessed and fortunate enough to do some things. That, now, as far as like social media or anything like that, do you have social media? Are you, are you out there? Are you kind of people I, to connect with I, you or no? I'm the worst social media guy you'll ever meet. I'm old school, man. I, my <laughs> my daughters had to show me how to work my iPhone one day, you know, because I couldn't figure it out. 
but <laughs> but but you know I, I've got a Facebook, but it's it's just it's it's not to anything. And, and everybody's been telling me, and I've got a lady that wants to market me now and says, you really need to get your story out there with some of She wants me to write about my ride in the in, in on the road with the guys, you know. Mm-hmm. So I thought about starting writing my memoirs called The Long Ride because it was about being in the car four, five, six hours at a time with all the different guys, you know, and talk, telling stories and just remembering things that happened and the funny stuff that happened, you know, and right, you know, talking about that, writing about that, because that's stuff you won't hear about, you know, that's behind the scenes stuff. And just being in the locker room and, and getting some knowledge from some of the, some of the best guys in the business and writing about that. If you felt like you had a bad match and you came back in the locker room with your head down, those guys would tap you on the back. Don't worry about it, man. You'll, you'll get better. Don't worry. So little stuff like that. So now social media, I have, you know, I, I thought about it, but I, you know, it's like, should I do a, a, just a Todd Champion Facebook, you know, with all the stuff on there and just throw it out there and see what happens? But I haven't really pursued it. I probably should. <laughs> I yeah. probably should. I probably should. And, and, you know, after my daughter gets married this weekend, you know, I'm going to have a little knee surgery. Next, the fall, two weeks after that, I tore on the niscus hiking in the Kennesaw Mountain over here. So I got to get that fixed. Other than that, you know, I'm in pretty good health. So um, after that, when the smoke settles and kids are back in school and weddings are over and all that fun stuff, then I'm going to I'm gonna sit down and kind of reevaluate because I've got a lot of wrestling in the bill. I've had a gentleman just call me the other day and ask me, he's got this little wrestling in the bill place he wants like my knee pads or my jacket that I wore in the rain or something like that. So um, I'm, I might start doing that. I'm not that good at it, but I'll have to maybe hire somebody to do it for me. But it might be a good thing. Who knows? Yeah, never know. Very, very good stuff. Mr. Todd Champion, thank you so much uh, for all the time today. I really appreciate it. It was really fun kind of going down memory lane with you, talking, you know, Big Dust, uh, WCW, JCP, and everywhere in between. Yeah, I really appreciate it, and I just want to tell everybody out there to be safe, take care of yourself, and uh, God bless everybody. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.